Welcome to another episode of Pipeline Foods Into the Weeds podcast. I'm your host, Anders Gerda. We've got a good series of conversations here, so let's get right into it. It's spring, and like most springs, the rush is on. In some states, crops are already mostly in the ground, while preparations are underway to get rolling further north. This spring is also different than any we've ever experienced. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and COVID-19 has affected our lives in ways that we may only be beginning to understand. In this time of isolation and busyness, we wanted to do our part to support connection. So let's take a road trip to hear about how the season is shaping up for farmers around the country and to take the temperature, if you will, of how farm families and the communities they live in are reacting to COVID-19. This episode is one of seven in which we check in with growers from Missouri on up to Canada. So hop in, buckle up, and let's hit the road for this special spring 2020 series of Into the Weeds podcasts, Road Trip Edition. Gary McDonald has been consulting with transitioning and certified organic farmers for over 30 years, and farming himself for many of those. His home range is South Central Illinois, but I know that I've seen Gary present and inspire across the entire Midwest. He's a row crop cultivation guru, a tireless organic advocate and educator, and a consistent champion for productive, biologically active organic farms. I always appreciate, and am sometimes challenged by, Gary's thoughts and perspectives. Today we talk about what some are calling the war with COVID-19, when to work your fields, the connections between soil health and human health, foundational soil health principles, and much more. So we're here in central Illinois as Gary gets ready for a great season. Pull up a chair and let's listen in. Hello, is this Anders? This is Anders. How are you doing, Gary? Well, I'm doing fantastic, Anders. The only way I could be any better if I was Anders. You know, handsome, young, <laughs> smart, got my whole life ahead of me. Oh, come on. You mean this dad bod, bald-headed 35-year-old stuck in a basement with a space heater warming my cold feet in snowy Minnesota? <laughs> well, you're trying to get me to feel sorry for you. <laughs> How are you doing? How's, how are things? What? I, I tell you what, I'm uh, I'm wonderful. I couldn't be better. Uh, life's exciting. Life's good. Uh, uh, so how's uh, how's everything with you? Uh, besides this, the story you gave me about being in a basement and cold and all that. <laughs> you know, th- things are okay. Uh, as with most of the world, there's a, a new normal that we're navigating. You know, we're 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 city dwellers right now, and so so COVID COVID nineteen is. Uh, a real presence for us. Um, and so everything is, everything is shut down and quiet and we're pretty much quarantined in our home and, uh, wearing masks when we go out. So everything feels a little bit different. Don't have, don't have childcare right now. So we're, uh, we're hanging in there, but, uh, but thing, things are good. You know, the silver lining here is that we get to spend a lot of time with our family, which is not the worst thing in the world. Well, I like that attitude. That's the attitude I take. And, uh, uh, there's there's always a lot of good in everything, and uh, uh, and I've not suffered at all. I mean, it has mm. not changed. It has not hardly changed my life. I mean, it's so insignificant. It's it's no big deal at all. Of course, I I live alone. Don't have to worry about the child care issues, the education, the children. Uh, I've only got me to feed, 
and I've always had plenty of supplies on hand that I can live a month without even going to the store. So basically that's what I did. So I didn't change much of anything. I was done with all my speaking. And uh, so I've, you know, things have been just pretty much normal here for me when I look at my own life. When I watch the news on my phone, I don't have a television, uh, but when I watch on my iPhone a little bit about things, uh, that's the only way I know that anything's different anywhere else than what I'm used to than, than you know, what it is for me here. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that it's it's changed your perspective on some things. I'm, I'm curious what, what that is, how that's maybe affecting things for you, even though your day-to-day isn't changing. For me, I look at things a little differently than a lot of people, and people can think maybe I'm cold and crass, but, you know, people hear me out to the end, I think they feel different. Hmm. Uh, you know, I've heard it said that it's a war. We're in a wartime situation now. Right. Think of a better war where the people who end up are the casualties are the people who are towards the end of their life, mm-hmm. Predom- predominantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, most wars you take are youngest, are healthiest, are brightest, are best, the ones that have their whole life ahead of them, and they go to off the war and get maimed and slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And if I if there was going to be a war and I could choose the war, I'd want one that took me out, not my children or my grandchildren. And so this has been a very good war to fight if you got to fight a war. And the other thing is, is that I think it speaks loudly to the only way really to truly uh, protect ourselves against this, because if you get into the mindset of trying to figure out how you're going to keep from getting a, a virus when you go in a store where a bunch of other people have been, uh, you know, the mask thing, you breathe in, it gets on, let's say it gets on your mask. How do you keep that from getting somewhere else? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, the best way is for the human being to be healthy and have a healthy immune response. And that's the way you do that is by eating food that's grown on soil where the soil had a healthy immune response. Mm-hmm. Starts in the soil. And so that's the thing that, you know, I think about when I think about these things that come our way like this is that as we continue to degradate our soil, the more we're going to have to be concerned uh, about those things out there, viruses, bacteria, because as we become in a weakened state, then we're going to have to be more concerned about these types of things which should not be any concern to us at all. That's a really interesting perspective. I have I have not heard that take before. I, I hear what you're saying about if we have to fight a war, that the the average age of someone who is is dying from this, uh, as I remember reading, was somewhere in the late seventies, early eighties, right? Which is right. which which is you know f- further away. Um, but what I'll also say is that where it hits home is, you know, my parents are in their seventies and my mom, uh, just had a fever yesterday and has the chills and has a headache. Right. So it's, it, it just got really real for me yesterday, you know, thinking, thinking about someone who I know well and would love to have around to be able to see her, uh, sixth grandkid coming, coming into the world, coming up. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying, and when the, when there is a, a real human relatable element to it, that's where it gets a little bit more more uh, kind of nuanced and tricky, you know. Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that point up because I I lost my dad and my mom, mm. and they were up in years. You know, your mother's still young. Uh, my dad was 
right at 80 when he passed. My mom was 92. And it was a relief when they passed on because Mm -hmm. they were at a stage in their life where they were not very healthy. Uh, They were suffering. And so when your parents get to that point, then you see it differently. But I know what you're saying. I would have hated and it would have been a sad time to lose my parents when they were still healthy enough that they could have had many more years. But both Mm -hmm. of them had got to a point that even if they'd have been rehabilitated, you know, uh, they they still wouldn't have a quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, looking at it from a selfless standpoint, uh, I would much rather see uh, my age person go than my daughter's age, which they're in their 30s and they have young families. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of life ahead of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and uh, so it's always good if we take the cream off the top. Uh, but but it is hurtful to talk about it. Like you say, it hits home, and I hope that uh, your mother's going to be all right. Uh, does, she, does she have underlying situations? She no, she doesn't. So she's she's okay. But she lives with my pops, who has heart disease, and is kind of co-housing with my brother across the street and his family. And his wife is pregnant, and you know, so it it. it yeah. It, it, who, who knows it all, it all depends. And, and chances are everything is fine, you know, as the, it is for the vast majority of people. Um, but well, there's no, no guarantees in this life. No, there's not. And that's an important thing to always keep in mind, uh, as well. Uh, you know, when we, when we look at this, I always figured that if I, re, if I ended up getting it, that I would rather right now take my chances of battling it and getting resistance built to it than when I'm 10 years older, because see, I'm 64, and a 64-year-old, and as far as I know, and when I mean that, as far as I know, I don't go to doctors, you know, uh, mm-hmm. very seldom do I go to a doctor, so I may be real sick and don't know it, but as far as I know, I'm very healthy and very well, so I would rather have about with something like this now, build my immunity up so that when I'm 75 or 80, this will be one more uh, arrow in the in uh, in that the quiver, mm-hmm. not going to be shot that that can't do me any harm, and and uh, so that's the way I kind of approached it. So I wasn't going to wring my hands over it and worry about it. I'm going to be respectful of other people's health and be careful, uh, but uh, I wasn't going to go to bed at night uh, emotionally distraught, yep. worrying about it. I hear what you're saying, and so so to move beyond maybe some of the the personal effects, I'm curious if you're seeing it uh, impact any of the clients that you work with. So so other farmers you're consulting with or or helping out uh, as far as their market outlay, as far as their ability to acquire any inputs that they need. Is anyone in your larger world kind of being impacted by this, and do you see any impacts coming down the pipeline in the future because of it? There are a lot of uncertainties there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so far, I'm not aware of anything major. But here again, uh, uh, I, you know, I have not sold any of my grain for 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know what the markets are going to be like. I'm going to go ahead and enjoy farming, enjoy raising the crop that I, you know, have to raise, and we'll see what the markets will do. Uh, so I don't know. That's uncertain so far. As mm-hmm. far as inputs, I don't know of any problems getting inputs. Most of them, you can order them over the phone and uh, get them delivered. Uh, so, uh, so far, so good. 
and I think we're getting to the point where we're getting far enough through this thing that things are going to start opening up. Uh, you give this thing another three weeks, and I think things are going to look a lot different. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you're right. I think there there are some projections to show that. That that would be nice. I wouldn't mind being able to get out there a little bit more myself. Yes. Yep. So we so we've waxed philosophical and, and, and yes. got gotten into the COVID. I'm wondering if we could uh, then pivot a little bit just to talking a little bit about what you're seeing. So you're in in central South Central Illinois. Um, what's it looking like uh, where you are? Are people starting to think about getting in the ground? Are people running discs? Kind of give us give us what's going on in the counties around you. The conventional farmers started. Well, guys, a couple of weeks ago, putting on anhydrous ammonia. Mm -hmm. the, the very first of uh, this month, they were putting on anhydrous ammonia. And they've been, you know, working ground and there's some corn in the ground. And wow. I think there, I think there's some soybeans in the ground. Uh, myself, I've uh, seeded all my alfalfa, clover, and grass seed into my wheat interseeding. Nice. And I'm very satisfied with that. Uh, and I've rented another farm that was already organic and mm. i've i've seeded all the oats because it, it didn't have any wheat growing so i needed to get the small grains seeded so i went with oats that was my only choice i felt for this spring so i put in oats interseeded into that uh, right along with uh, when i drilled the oats i put the alfalfa clover and uh, and grasses in the grass seeder and seed them at the same time mm. I got that all done in great shape. Uh, also seeded some cover crop uh, into some corn stalks because there was no cereal rye growing on the corn stalks. Mm -hmm. Got that done. So uh, up, to, I'm very up to date with everything I need to get done. Uh, the soil was uh, plenty good uh, condition for doing that, and I'm very, con you know, very particular about not getting on the soil wet. And uh, now I'm going to do some work on my flail shredder and get ready to shred and disc in my rye that's growing on the corn stalks on one farm and then the alfalfa clover that's growing on another farm uh, they're getting uh, pretty close to half knee high mm -hmm. really on top of it i mean uh, that's great so far so, far, so good and it uh, looks like it's going to be a wonderful year i've got uh, the best looking covers i've ever had mm. the best looking wheat i've ever had uh, so i i uh, can't be more pleased than i am that is good to hear. Uh, and just so we talk a lot about how much delayed organic planting is after you see your neighbors running. And just to, to give folks who are listening a, a take on how delayed that is, when, when are you assuming you're going to be able to maybe start running with corn and beans? My target date is to start planting corn on May 20th. Okay. I'm a late kind of a guy because, see, uh, corn is – is like going to the bank and making a withdrawal. Uh, I want to make deposits as long as I can. And so I want the alfalfa clover to grow as big as it can, create as much energy as possible. Uh, you know, you bale hay that's six inches tall, you won't get as much energy as you will if you bale that uh, hay when, when it's knee high. Mm -hmm. And so I want to get as much fed back to that soil as possible. And that alfalfa clover will do a huge amount of growth in a two week time period this time of year and so i want to wait as late as i can to terminate the clover and alfalfa and even then i won't terminate it completely uh, it'll it'll certain amount of it survive up until i get ready to feel cultivated and mm -hmm. and uh, plant plant the corn so uh, the 20th of may is when i'll think about starting 
Uh, I hope to have the field ready so that if the weather and the soil conditions as far as moisture is where it needs to be, I'm dropping the planter in on the 20th of May and planting. Now, a lot of times it's not until the last part of May, and that's okay too. Last year it was June 14th, and that worked out great. I had a great corn yield last year. If we have a year just like last year again this year, which is already too late for that to happen unless something changes awful fast, uh, I'd be totally satisfied. I was totally satisfied with last year. I had uh, the best cover crops I've ever seen uh, last year, uh, uh, massive growth and uh, my corn did very well. So um, I'm uh, excited about whatever Mother Nature wants to throw our way. That's great. I always appreciate you being a, a ray of hope, uh, not regardless of what's happening. I mean, we, we make our own scenarios. We make our own situations. We make our own luck. And I think through preparation, you know, you've set yourself up to take advantage of what was ended up being a, a hard year for some people. Um, but I, I appreciate your, your positivity. That means a well, lot. Well, Anders, I'm making money as I sit here talking to you because my alfalfa is pumping nitrogen in the ground. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So, my, some folks my, are applying anhydrous. You're applying alfalfa. That's right. I'm applying my nitrogen and yep. uh, no, no compaction. And along with that, it builds structure in the soil and the, uh, puts oxygen and the ability for it to absorb rainfall. It's building an underground plumbing system for drainage as well as irrigation. It goes both ways. See, and it's all built into it. The water can come up and meet the corn's needs or the heavy rains can drain down and, and meet the needs of drainage. And uh, my, my cereal rye is building a wonderful environment uh, for the soybeans mm-hmm. and uh, building that fertility. And so uh, I'm making money every day that cover crops growing, whether it be alfalfa, clover, or whether it be cereal rye or any other cover crop that I might be growing. And the wheat is in the field growing, the oats are in the field growing. So I'm making money. and. Uh, uh, when I plant the corn, that's when I like going to the bank and making a withdrawal. Yep, yep. That's a beautiful way to look at it. You're you're making it rain while it's raining on your on your perennials out there. Yeah, that's that's why I love farming this way. Yeah, there's there's never a bad day or a bad year in my opinion. It's all good. Yep. Yeah. And so you mentioned you're going to be getting out there chopping pretty soon. So what else do you have on your calendar between now and May 20? Well, I'll, I. My main focus is to uh, monitor my fields. I, I walk my fields fairly often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that alfalfa clover uh, starts getting up to knee higher, maybe a little taller, uh, you've got to watch the weather. Uh, and uh, if, if you have low moisture uh, and you could handle a three-inch rain without keeping you out of the field very long, because the alfalfa will pull that right back out. See? Uh, then I want that alfalfa to get as large as I can before I work it in, but I want to get it worked in so May 20th my field's ready to plant. Mm -hmm. And so I monitor the weather and I monitor the soil moisture. And uh, so a lot of what I do between now and until the tractor rolls and machinery starts rolling in the field is I'm monitoring. I'm Mm -hmm. keeping mindful of what's going on. Uh, because the larger your cover crop gets, the more days it takes to decompose and break down. Uh, so I, I want to push it as far as I can up to that date that I'm going to plant. Now, normally with soybeans, cereal rye, if it's knee high, it takes 10 days for me to get it to where I want it before I plant my soybeans. So if I start tilling my cereal rye in on the 20th of May, because we had a late year, 
uh, late spring, then I, I'm usually able to plant beans around the 1st of June, no problem, as far as the soil being where I want it with the breakdown of the organic matter. And usually with alfalfa clover, if I want to plant on May 20th, if I start the, the 25th of April, getting the alfalfa clover worked in, usually it's in really good condition to be planting corn by the 20th of May. Um, so it just depends. Um, so, so what else? I work on machinery uh, and get my machinery ready. Yeah. So it's like Indianapolis 500. You can't, when it's go time, uh, because I push it up to the wire, I want to make sure that the machinery is ready to go. And I've got some redundancies. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got extra tractors, extra discs, extra things that back up that if one breaks down, I don't have to spend a day working on it. I can hook onto the other one and go. Because when it's go time, you can't miss that window when you run it up as close as I do. So we talk a lot about on this podcast about prescription versus observation and how organic agriculture is dependent on careful and continuous observation. And I think you just you just really hit that home by saying for over a month, you know, you, you have things on your calendar, you have field work to do, you're gonna be shredding, you're gonna be gonna be making sure your equipment is is operational and ready to go. But really what you're gonna be doing is observing, watching, Absolutely. noting, Absolutely. taking notes, and that 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 really drives it home. Yes. Uh, the thing that I think that gives me a leg up on being successful at this, I've always tried to put my finger on why it is that uh, it's frustrating to me that when people listen to what I say and then they don't get the same results. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of times, see, see, I went out this spring, for example, and uh, was wanting to sow some oats. And I walked, the th- I, I, was, I didn't even walk the field that's so greasy on top. Mm-hmm. It's just mud. Right. But see what people don't realize, they don't get out there and walk their field. I mean, walk the whole field. You go out there and you push a spade in the ground five inches deep and you pry it up. There are times the top two inches of that soil will be just mud. Five inches down, it's not. It's about right. And there can be times when the top two inches is just bone dry and it's mud down five inches deep. Right. It depends. It's, it, you know, if you put a steak in a skillet that's on high, it'll burn the outside of that steak and it'll be raw on the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and you can get rain and you can have a wet soil and then you can get hot winds and it'll get so it's dry on top. And people say, oh, it's ready to go. And they go out there and work and the dust is flying and it's way too wet to be out there. But mm-hmm. see, they're, they're going to tell you, oh, no, it was plenty dry when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to study that soil and dig in it and see where it's at because there's times when it can be too wet on top and that soil is actually dry enough everywhere else to work as far as their depths. And you want to be sitting at the edge of the field then because just as soon as you get a little breeze and the sun comes out, you can be in the field immediately and other times not. And also the temperature. That soil can feel too damp but be dry enough if it's cool out. If it's hot out, it can feel dry enough but be too wet. Yeah, so fo- following your, your Indy 500 metaphor, you know, that you do just want to go, 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 go. And I think that there is most definitely an obsession with action and going among all farmers, all producers of, yeah. of all, all different kinds of commodities. Um, but you're not going to even hit that gas pedal until your pit crew is making sure that everything is perfect. If the PSI is down on one of the wheels or your right. carbs need to be cleaned, whatever that is, you're not going to even 
go until it's perfect. You got to right. watch and watch and wait. That's right. No, that's yeah. If I go out to the field and I deem it too wet and I just don't feel it's ready yet, I go back to the shop and double check everything, you know, make sure I haven't forgot something. And I got old equipment, see, mm. and, and I want to make sure that it's ready to roll. And, and then next day I'll go check the field again. And at some point in time, I can't get back to the truck fast enough and get in and get home yep. and get that, get that tractor to the field. Sometimes it's already at the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. because the, the, there a lot of times if it takes you eight hours to work a field and uh, you you start working that ground eight hours before it's dry enough you've worked every bit of it too wet the mm-hmm. time you get say and i will not i mean i shouldn't say i never work ground too wet because some years you have the luxury that when in doubt i just let it go another day well, mm-hmm. last, last year wasn't one of those years. So, boy, it was tough on me last year to try to figure out when I was walking that field because the very best soil in this one field, it was some of the best land that lays outdoors, just a little swale in a low spot. Mm-hmm. And it was still too wet. And I think I don't want to work the best soil in this field too wet. And um, it was real close. And I, I, I went ahead and worked it probably a day sooner than I normally would have good thing i did or i wouldn't have got it planted because it rained it started raining when i was finishing that plant in the field mm. and then it four days after that just kept drizzling along for four more days so i never would have got it planted so it all worked out i feel like the good lord's kind of guiding my hand mm-hmm. but uh you know it, it's a tough decision it's one of those decisions that you just got to pull the trigger and go and hope that your hand was guided correctly and that uh, god had his hand on you because i don't have a crystal ball i'm not a magician Maybe we should have done this earlier, Gary, but I, I know what you do. And I, I'm curious now if you could just take a minute to let other people know, you know, you talk about your own farms, your renting ground, but you also are helping a lot of other farmers out. So I wonder if you could just take a minute to tell us uh, kind of what you do and what your role is uh, in your community. As far as what I do with my consulting, I'm not a soil agronomist. Uh, I am more of an operations type person when it comes to farming. I believe that the soil has everything in it we need. Uh, the most important thing is to learn how to properly manage those things. There's plenty of mineral in the soil. There's 200, uh, some people say there's 2 million pounds of mineral in the top six inches per acre. In other places I've read, there's uh, 1,500,000 pounds of mineral in the top six inches. And then there's 70 million pounds above every, every acre. And, and you'll see different figures depending on who wrote the articles and where the research was done. Mm-hmm. So we have all the nitrogen we need, way oversupply of what we need, and we have way oversupply of minerals that we need. The problem is, is we're about 95% deficient on the biology that should be there because of the many, many years of starving the soil and, and uh, raping the land and uh, uh, putting uh, soil extractant solutions on it, acid fertilizers, anhydrous ammonias and such, that we can extract the carbon out of it and leave the shiny little rock particles, sort of thing. And so what I want to do is work with farmers to try to get them to do the, the rotation and putting back cover crops to get the biology going and get the biological proliferation happening through the proper tillage, proper uh, sheet composting, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, usually where most farmers fall short is, is they can't bring themselves to let that out 
falcon clover get knee high or bigger or the cereal rye to get up there to where it's at the very utmost boot stage because they get nervous mm-hmm. and they want to go but i'm raising my corn crop with that alfalfa coming out of the ground that's building the food for the corn crop it's just like my mom used to tell us when she was raising us kids she says dinner will be served at noon mm. now we, we could come in and sit down at the table at 11 30 and get in her way but there wasn't anything to eat and the same with you, you know with the corn you can plant it before the soil is ready and before the soil biology is prepared a place for it and the soil the corn's not going to have what it needs right so I, i'm preparing a meal for that corn. I'm preparing a place for it to grow. And so I want to put as much on the table as possible. I want to put as uh, uh, much potential there as possible. And same with soybeans. And I was taught how to farm this way by farmers over in Iowa had been doing it for many years. In fact, some of them never ever did farm with uh, the conventional system. Mm -hmm. They were farming in the 50s, 60s and 70s this way. And they still didn't have depletions in their soil. They were still farming this way and having fabulously healthy crops, very good yields. And they were simply using the biological proliferation and nitrogen fixation or something they called the creative processes of soil. Now, soil scientists tell you, oh, you're depleting your soil. And uh, I disagree with that. What I help farmers do to try, is to try to understand these things, very few converts. But that's the, that's the way I... I lean. That's that's the way I'm made. That's the way I was taught and the way I believe. I appreciate that. So you bring these principles and practices to farmers who you consult with. And so if someone listening wants to to talk a little bit more about what that might look like, what's the best way to get in touch with you? They can call me. Probably the best way is to text me on okay. the 217-341-5073. And then I'll get back with them when I can. When I'm in the field and working, they're not going to hear from me for a while unless it's somebody I recognize who I'm working with. Yep. Yep, that makes sense. All right, and so I'll put that number and that information in the in the show notes as well. So, Gary, I don't want to take too much more of your time, uh, and I'm going to keep this road trip going. We're going to talk to a few more growers in a few other parts of the country, hear what they're up to and how their springs are going and how they're dealing with COVID. But I really appreciate you taking the time today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Very good. Well, same here, Andre. Have a good day. You can find Pipeline Foods Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast provided by, you guessed it, Pipeline Foods. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, get in touch. We'd love to share your story with our listeners. 